All right. Okay. Inappropriate Earl. Back. Back in the house. Kirk Fox was a real charmer. A lot of good feedback on the Fox. But today I have one of the, my best buds in comedy. You might not have thought that after last week's roast battle where we were not forced, but uh, asked to battle each other because everyone loves us. And they thought, let's get them on stage. And I almost canceled three times because I just I don't like battling people I like. Because on some level, people are going to, you know, there is a level of truth to this roast jokes. Yeah, I almost didn't want to do it either. The uh, great Pinchy of Flalo, guys. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Thanks for having me, Earl. You're one of my favorite people, dude. Which is why last week was so hard to write me. I don't like you write for roast and like Franco and Bieber, right? Yeah, I wrote on the Franco and Bieber roast. That's right. And uh, see, I do my research just like you did last week with Leroy. Yeah, I had a joke about Leroy, who's uh, Earl's butler, who died when he was 12, right? Yeah, and I don't believe I... I must have talked about it on a podcast. Right. But uh, my my eyes... I wouldn't say welled up, but I was like, oh, fuck, man. He just brought up Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was kind of raised by a housekeeper, too. She didn't die, but I know if she did, it would have been hard on me. Well, my dad was away on business a lot. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, Leroy was basically our, our, I don't want to say butler, you know, it's kind of dismissive, but uh, he was basically our butler. So mm -hmm. uh, he was like the first person that died in my life that like, it was like, oh man. So, I mean, I can remember the phone call like it was yesterday. That's uh, crazy. It was his brother, Ernie. Mm -hmm. And I picked up the phone and uh, he said, Earl, Leroy's gone. And I'm, I was such a schwitz. I'm like, oh, where is he? Uh, no, he's gone. And so it was the whole deal there. So you had him since you were born, was he there? Yeah. So Yeah, uh, I had Yolanda since I was like one and a half. Yeah, you She's still with my family. How old is she? Fifties, must be. Um and yeah, you Did you just take a photo of me? No, I, I hit the wrong button and I took a photo of myself, so we gotta figure that out. Hold on, let me let me posture myself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh I got a photo taken. Because you had a battle three years ago. With I battled three years ago, and I lost that one, too. I'm 0-2 at this roast battle thing. Yeah, but you should be um, a regular roaster. You're good at it, dude. Yeah, you know, I'm not... I like it, and it's so... It fills you with so much, like, nerves that it's such an interesting exercise just as something you do on the stage. But, you know, I've done a lot of thought about it, and uh, I talked to a bunch of people about it and got some good advice, and... I think it is sort of its own uh, thing that you have to try to get good at. Um, and especially like since it's kind of like wrestling, it has that wrestling vibe. And I was never into wrestling. And, and I feel like it's almost like I know roast jokes really well, but I do feel like the roast battle is sort of like its own genre of performance that I might not have yet. But I think I could. Oh, absolutely, yeah. dude. Because would you say like when you're roasting uh, Franco or Bieber or Rob Lowe, was the most recent one. You're paying tribute to them at the end of the day. At the end of the day, yeah, but you're still looking for vicious, mean jokes that are, you know. I think the difference that I've noticed is that the roast that I've written on and the way I've viewed most of them, like, it's a little more information-based. Like, you get a lot of information on the person 
And because they're a famous person, you have a lot of info that everyone already knows. And then you sort of have jokes that are based on more specific stuff. Whereas I feel like the roast battle oftentimes is like bigger slams, like more broad, broad strokes of roasting. Oh, I mean, I had several ideas last week. I was like, how can I get in his head mentally? I mean, it's it's like UFC. You're like trying to throw off your opponent, you know. Uh, I had one idea that I'm embarrassed to say I was going to do. Uh, it's okay. You can say. Well, I mean, you know, I'm uh, suffering from a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say heartache, but, uh, you know, some uh, female problems right now. Yeah. So uh, you were going to use my female problems against me? I was. And uh, the I could tell you now. Yeah. Tell me. You can tell me now. Because at the end of the day. I, I figured you would, and I was ready for that. I had rebuttals ready. I knew for you it. would. Yeah. Two of the people who came out in Sting Mask yeah. were going to be Chelsea and just some dude. Oh, okay. And then I, I then I thought, you know, that could set him up for, you know, hitting me where he knows. Because we talk like right. that personal thing. I actually thought, of, I, I had a feeling you were going to do that. I even brought it up to people. I was like, I have a feeling he's going to use use her somehow, like in the intro or something. You know, and I, I had jokes ready for it. I didn't. Did. I didn't want to win that bad to do stuff like that. Cause I don't know. And I'm not asking you to speak, you know, she's not here. So, you know, I don't like talking about two people when one's not here, but like, I don't know if you, uh, still had, uh, feelings for her or whatever. Uh, and so I was like, you know, I don't want to win that bad. Uh, <laughs> but you know, that also I was expecting it. And if you would have done that, it's okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, it would have been fine if you wanted to do it, but well, you know, that's you get so caught up in the show of like, how can I win? You know, because right. it's vicious up there. Uh, you know, but by the way, people are saying we had the battle of the night. I'm not surprised at that. <laughs> Minus the intros. Right. And Dude, my intro wasn't my fault. Because you were on stage. No, I was there and Moses was like, I'll text you when I need you to come up. And so I just go downstairs and uh, and then all of a sudden like Aristotle comes out. He's like, Dude, what's going on? And I'm like. I'm like, what? He's like, you got to be on stage. The whole room's waiting for you. And I'm like, what? And I get up there and they're playing the music like everyone's waiting. And uh, and Moses didn't even say anything. I would, I wish Moses stuck up for me and said, yeah, it was my fault. I didn't. And afterwards, Moses was like, yeah, sorry about that. That was my fault. And well, I'm like, well, why didn't you tell the whole room I was getting slammed by everybody for not being to, out there? Welcome to Roast Battle, bro. <laughs> so annoying. So annoying. But whatever. I mean, I should have gone first, but I thought the intro would, I thought that intro would be hilarious. You know, mm -hmm. and it was a complete disaster. Uh, no one really knew what they were doing, which is my fault. Because Matt Edgar was supposed to come out and do like a, a wrestling speech. Right. And then the 10 stings were going to come from all over the room. Mm -hmm. And then I was going to come out. And like everyone just got in a single line. And it was like, looked like they were at a fucking deli. Uh, so, uh, you know, thank God the jokes were there. <laughs> now, do you think you'll battle again? Um, I don't know. I'm about to get pretty busy, I imagine. And so I don't know. I don't know. Cause that was the toughest thing for me last week. It's like, okay, I've got to shit on him as a comic, a writer, but I think you're great. My heart wasn't in the battle, I guess. Like, you know, I made a few pilot jokes. You just sold the show, not the pilot, but the series, which is unheard of. You know, usually you sell a pilot. So it's like, well, I, I don't really believe this joke, but I got to say it anyway. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it'll be a while before I battle again. Yeah. Daddy only does the pay-per-views. 
Yeah, I think it'll be probably a while for me too. But I'm not against doing it again. But I just, yeah, I'm, I'm probably about to get busy. So yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, but you're so good at it, and you're such a great writer that, like, uh, I would hope you know i don't know maybe in montreal or whatever happens next with the show uh yeah i mean i'd love to do it because you're fearless dude yeah I, yeah like i wasn't really going for you like i'm not as familiar with the show so if anything i said seemed vicious it's like I, i'm almost just trying to figure out my footing and how the show works you know so oh no it I wasn't mean, like i can actively choose what's too mean or not too mean or i mean i knew like you would come hard at me so right. you know that's why i was like well, for those 10 minutes, I could act like I hate them. Mm -hmm. I like battling people I don't like. It's easier for me. Right, I imagine it would be, because then you can use some real feelings. I don't care if I hurt their feelings. I, right. There's a lot of people in that room I don't like. A lot of I, palmers up there. Did I say anything that hurt your feelings? No, not really. I mean, the Leroy thing uh, probably hurt. Uh, you know, uh, affected me the most because as soon as you said his name, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but then I had to instantly go into what's a rebuttal for this? What's, right. what, you know, and then, uh, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to lie down while he's doing this joke just to fuck off his cadence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then just. It did mess me up a little. And I hate doing that. Like, but it's but like. But it's, it's the game. Yeah, it, no, I get it. It was an overtime. I think all, we knew all three judges equally. Uh huh. So it wasn't like we had an end there. Like, uh, you know, there's been some battles where maybe I was not, you know, a little more friendlier with the judges than whoever I'm battling. So mm -hmm. I thought oh, I got an end here. So just, but when you started that joke, I'm like, fuck, man. Like, wh what can I do to fuck with him right now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, now tell us about the show. You're with the great Esther Pavitsky. Um, yeah, we made a short film slash thing. I don't even know what to call it about two uh, years ago and, uh, kind of more in a way. And, uh, and then, yeah. And then people liked it and we decided to make a pilot with the Freeform network or they decided to make a pilot with us, which was awesome. And we shot that in August of this year. And, uh, and yeah, we just got word a few weeks ago that we're going to get to make a series next year. Now it's rare that it goes to series, right? Um, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, yes. A lot of pilots get made and most don't go to series. I mean, most of them never air. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Most of them never air. I mean, I did a pilot once, uh, 2012, they spent like probably half a million dollars on the fucking pilot. They never even pitched it. Mm -hmm. It's the craziest thing I've ever yeah, no, yeah. yeah, half a million for a pilot's cheap. Yeah, I mean they uh, they called in a lot of favors too. Like they yeah. shot it on the uh, not Tango and Cash, but uh, Rizzoli and Isles set, and like everyone was donating most of their time. You know, the yeah. set designer was like an Academy Award winner, but they loved the producer. But uh, it's a it's a coal business, man. I mean, the short I made, I mean, it wasn't a half million dollar budget, but it was so many favors. And for the amount of money we spent, it's like a miracle that it came out looking so good. And I like owe so much to the guy who directed it. Now, I'm not clowning on the network because I've never heard of it. But no, what, what, no I'm really not. I know. Uh, what is the Freeform? Uh, Freeform used to be ABC Family and now they changed their name and they're rebranding or, you know, having like a different uh, a different body of shows and stuff different type of show so it's on like direct tv stuff like that it's just it's what abc family used to be so it's just cable i think oh okay yeah 
And what's can you say what the show's about? Um, yeah, the show's called Alone Together, and basically Esther's my very good platonic friend, and we sort of have like a you know, a contentious, insult-filled uh, relationship, but we're both kind of losers with no one else to hang out with. So we, you know, it's kind of, I don't want to say Beavis and Butthead, but maybe at the root of Beavis, Beavis and Butthead's hearts are where our show is. Now, did that come from like the, the I mean, you and Esther certainly are not losers, but like you're, you're kind of lone wolves. I mean. Well, I wouldn't say we're losers now, but for most of our friendship, we've been losers and we still feel like losers. So, uh, that's basically how it's always been, you know, uh, I, I come from a family just full of like taller, better looking people. You got Esther who's, you know, a girl in LA when she's, you know, what she is compared to like, you know, you know, put Esther in Equinox, you know? So, uh, well, she worked there for a she while. She worked there too. So yeah, it's stuff like that. It's just about how we sort of clash with LA and whatnot. Because you come, uh, you know, the battle last week was billed as old money versus new money. Right. Uh, you know, not every comic is poor and comes from uh, the hood. Mm -hmm. uh, is it, uh, do you find you don't get taken uh, as seriously because you got a little bit of money? It was more of an issue when I was younger and starting out in comedy. And people would judge you sort of and uh, think, yeah, that because you come from a different background that it, cause it is also uncomfortable. You know, when I first started doing comedy, like I was never homeless. I had like homeless friends, people who slept in their cars, people with no money. And like, I never had those type of base problems like hunger or shelter. So there were often, you know, annoying moments and probably more annoying for other people. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there was that, but now I'm an old man. I'm in my, I'm 33. So it's not weird if you're living a comfortable life, but when you're 23 and starting out doing comedy and everyone's like dirt poor and you're yeah. okay. And you're at the Ivy having the steak tartare. <laughs> I haven't been to the Ivy in a while. That's very old money. That's not even old money. That's just old LA. Right. The Ivy's very like what? Late eighties, early nineties. Late eighties. I think it was uh, used in a scene in American gigolo, which was a total eighties movie. But uh, my grandparents would take me there. Uh, I used you get the to, crab cakes and the grilled vegetable salad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to take Cotillion at the Daisy, which is where uh, OJ met Nicole. You, remember, you know what old L.A. restaurant I loved? Was remember the Gardens in Westwood? Oh, absolutely. I loved that place. I mean, Westwood used to be the best. Yeah. I used to go there in high school all the time. So when were you in high school? I graduated in 01. See, I went there in its prime, high school in the mid-80s. Oh, you 80s. were there coincidentally during the years of the Westwood Rapist, weren't you, Earl? Listen. Are you the Westwood Rapist, Earl? It ain't rape if they want it. Jesus Christ. I'm just kidding. I mean, we both have done fairly well with what women. But, uh, <laughs> I think you've done better. I did some research on you and listened to your podcast. I think... I've had a rough couple... Uh, Rough, uh, yeah. I but mean, you're okay. Are you looking to settle down or you really need something that serious? Well, no, but I uh, just... Uh, Tired of the heartache? Uh, yeah, man. Just you... Uh, so stop making yourself so vulnerable. Why don't you... Why don't you... You can't give yourself away so easy. Maybe you give yourself away in increments. I'm just too nice to women. And then they're used to these open mic slobs. 
I mean, I know what that's like. So maybe you have to be a little less nice. I'm not saying be mean, but maybe make yourself less vulnerable at first. You feel it out. So you know what? For the first three months, I won't buy them anything like this. Or for the first this, we won't go on a trip. And then you you feel people out. And then if, if you get bad vibes or it doesn't work out, you didn't give yourself away as much and you didn't get hurt. Uh, you're right. I mean, I don't necessarily uh, buy girls like tons of gifts, but uh, I believe in treating them like a human. Yeah, no, I pay for girls. St- yeah, I get that. You know, and then uh, I think they're so used to being treated like shit by these open mic slobs. I think you're talking to a very small audience, man, with these open mic slobs. You know, it's not like everyone in America is dealing with that. Well, you know, for those of you out there who aren't familiar with open mic slobs, uh, they're bottom feeders, just guys waiting for you to have a problem with your lady. So they swoop in like a fucking vulture. But guess what? The girl usually comes back. So uh, life is just like the comedy scene. Finishing second to daddy ain't no thing. But anyway, we're not here to talk about my problems. Let's get back to the big roast that you write on. You're called in. Let, let's say Comedy Central calls you tomorrow. Says, we got a roast of, uh, well, it won't be Carrie Fisher. We know that. But uh, breaking news, Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, uh, passed away about an hour ago. People always seem to die when I do a podcast. Like during it. Gary Shandling last time. Right in the middle of Inappropriate Earl. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper is good for the numbers, though. Roddy would appreciate that. Numbers skyrocketed. It's cold business, Roddy. Uh, <laughs> um, you get that call. How do you start the process? Uh, they say they are, say they're. Uh, the roast wants to hire me to write on the roast? Say they're roasting Kiefer Sutherland. And what's the process? Well, I, I mean, like, you get that call. Write, I have to be available to write on it. But let's say you are available. Oh. Like when you got the phone call for Franco and, oh, okay. and Bieber. What's the process? Like in the writer's room, you mean? Yeah, like, you know, with me, you knew me. So it's like, okay, I know. Oh, Earl. what's like my creative process? Right, yeah, yeah, the creative oh. process. Um, well, first, I whatever comes to mind in terms of like a person's vulnerabilities and weaknesses. You know what I mean? I, I look for people's underbelly. And, uh, and before I, if I don't have a joke, I just remember it. And sometimes... I'll even write down like keywords. Like I did that with you, you know, and you just write down what you think are things that can hurt this person's feelings. What are their vulnerabilities? And then that way, what's really helpful with me with that is, is sometimes with a roast, you have to, like Jeff Ross always says, it's like a research paper. It's like you're doing a research assignment on someone. You have to learn them. You got to listen to podcasts that they were in, watch their interviews, watch if if there's someone, they have a documentary about them. You definitely have to watch that. So what happens is, is, uh, I like to write down things I remember. And if I can't think of a joke immediately, I'll be like, Oh, something's there. Their Butler died when they were 12 or that would totally get them. Or this happened. You know, sometimes those jokes aren't as, um, aren't as tasteful. Like that joke I did to you isn't that tasteful. But the reason I thought it would be interesting with you is, is because I wanted to make like an interesting choice at the roast battle. Cause I felt like, people don't do that enough at the roast battle where they do do research 
And I feel like that's kind of my background. And I kind of was like, you know what? Everyone here knows Earl so well, but they don't really know anything about him. And that's why I was like, you know what? I know this joke is going to probably bomb because it's so long, but I feel like this is kind of like my way of saying like, this is, this is like what I think is interesting about roasts. And so it's a lot of research, I would say. And besides that, it's about how funny you are, really. I mean, there's nothing else to it. You just got to think of funny jokes. But having that ammunition, um, you know, is what helps you. Like, for example, like one of my favorite roast jokes is one Tony Hinchcliffe wrote, which is Jonah Hill's... Uh, it was on Jonah Hill, and it's a... Uh, 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 when Quentin Tarantino called Jonah Hill and said... He wants him to be in a spaghetti Western. Jonah said, you had me at spaghetti. <laughs> so the reason why that's a good example of what I'm talking about is, is because all day long we're cracking jokes about Jonah Hill being fat. But because we're doing the research and looking at all his movies and this and that, all of a sudden you look into the movie and then you go to that movie's Wikipedia page and start reading about it. And then you see, oh, spaghetti Western. You just found a fat joke by, by taking a few extra steps from Jonah Hill. You know right. what I mean? So I think... And that's how, and that's how jokes also don't get redundant. You know, at a roast, if you're staffed, they might already have a bunch of Jonah Hill fat jokes and now they need all sorts of other jokes. And if you're not doing the research and everyone needs two jokes on Jonah Hill and all 20 of the Jonah Hill jokes getting told that night are fat jokes, it just doesn't provide enough depth. So you have to do the research, have the information, and then you can really tie things together. And then sometimes, because you have information on one person and then information on another that kind of comes together, you can sometimes make fun of two people at once because you have all these different points to work at. So that's kind of how I think of it. Now, do you get assigned like someone on the dais to help, like, like especially if they're non-comic, like with the last one, Mike Lawrence, I think, was helping Ann Coulter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, writers will often, if they want to, like, get assigned to a person on the dais, and usually it's someone who is somewhat close to the script or someone for whatever reason. So, yeah. Now, what got you into stand up, dude? Because most rich, not not that we're rich, but like. Most people, you know, got a couple bucks in the bank. Their instinct isn't, I want to hang out at comedy clubs all night and wait three hours to go on. Um, I didn't start off like that. I mean, I wanted to do stand-up because my whole life I knew I probably wouldn't have to worry about much. And I loved rock and roll and I loved stand-up. And I just didn't get good enough at guitar young enough to give me the confidence to continue with music. And when I started dabbling in open mics and stuff, I felt like it was going better. And, uh, and so I was like, gotta let go of music and do stand up. So that's why I always knew I was going to do something creative, but since I was a kid, like I loved joke books, like when I was five and six, my great, if I wanted, cause you know, when you're a kid, your parents always be like, we'll buy you any book you want. Cause they, you know, so I'd go joke books, joke books. So starting from like age six, I'd say onto like sixth grade, like I was buying joke books and David Letterman top 10 list books. So I always really liked stand up. I'm also young enough that I grew up with Comedy Central, so I always sort of had like a more, uh, a richer, I mean, now now all kids grow up with Comedy Central, but it was sort of rare, you know, I, I feel like other people didn't have that, or if you're like 10 years older than me, you probably didn't have comedy, stand-up comedy on your TV every day, so that helped me a lot, I loved Dr. Katz, it gave you such like a broad selection of different stand-ups, and it let me become a fan of, of them, 
And so there was that. And then, yeah, but I think at first when I started doing stand-up, I was very weary of being someone who hangs out at comedy clubs. And that's why I didn't really do the open mic at the comedy store because it was a hanging out thing. The concept of signing up at six and then finding out at seven if I actually got a spot was like so dumb to me. I was like, I can go and actually do an open mic or try to do stand-up. Why am I going to sit around here for an hour? Like, it didn't even click in my head. I didn't understand networking. I didn't understand what a cool comedy club was or a cool show. I just had no idea. So I'm not happy that the last eight years of my life have become hanging out at a bar on the Sunset Strip, but it's just the, it's just the opportunities I've gotten to do stand-up have put me there a lot. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, it did. It does. Like when I first got to the store, I only know two people. I only knew, I only knew you and Halpin. And that's because you were a hustler and you really were hitting the, hitting the ground running. And that's why I knew you. And I knew Halpin because he beat me in the, in the, what was that crappy competition comedy show where you win French fries? Well, uh, the, the, the one, the crappy comedy competition show that I was in was the LA's funnest uh mine was at the ice house okay oh uncle clyde yeah i lost uncle clyde's in the finals to sean halpin which was a total scam you know just bring 10 people yeah and you win it was a scam i didn't know i did bringer shows for my first year and a half to two years only oh so did i i, I didn't know you know i did them at the comedy in the belly room stevie d jay davis and sergio love yeah i did vargas shows oh boy okay. yeah well there you go i know i didn't know you don't. And then, uh, like, when did you get passed at the comedy store? In 2011. By Tommy. By Tommy. Now, back then, Tommy did things uh, a little differently. Like, you didn't necessarily showcase, did you? He just said, hey, you're passed. I actually am one. I did get to showcase for Mitzi when I was, like, in my first year in. She and what was that? Me. She did not. No, did not. Any feedback? Like, well, Tommy, not really. She's, Tommy was like, dude. I think she liked you. And then I'm not going to say the comic's name, but there was this comic there who's terrible. And if I said his name, you'd be like, oh God, yeah, I believe that. And Tommy was like, he ruined the showcase for her. That's what he, she, he said. Oh. And nobody got past. It was, and uh, I remember Mo was on it. Mo Mandel. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember who else. But uh, I did like, felt like obligated to walk up to her after and say thank you. And she was already, you know, older. And she said, keep going up around town, which can mean one of two things. One, she was giving me advice or two, I think maybe she wasn't even coherent enough to know I was a door guy. So I thought that was sort of an odd thing to say to a door guy. Cause it's like, go up around town, but I'm a door guy. I'm here, you know? Right. So, uh, um, yeah. So I don't know what it really means. Did you like working there? I loved working there. I had the time of my life working there. Because it's a tight crew there. Like the, it, it, it was different then than I... Yeah, it was a tighter crew then, yeah. Well, because uh, it was about 2008, 2009. It wasn't quite the dark ages up there, but it was definitely not the store that is pumping now. Right. Usually all three rooms are full. You know, tonight's roast battle. You know, it's a standing room only show. Uh, I'm sure the OR will be packed, and I think they have the... Uh, I think the black show in the main room. It's very different. I used to I used to be the door guy on Tuesday shows, and very often we couldn't start the show. Or we would wait like a little bit until some more people trickled in. But there would be times where a weekday show, a Tuesday, Wednesday, could have eight people in it to start the show, 10 people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like tiny. And now it's sold out. Oh, it's, I mean, last night they had a show in the main room, Monday night, sold out. I think out. it's because of Uber. 
Because people think you know can the, party was, a little more. Well, no, there there was no parking at the comedy store, and whenever you on the phones, the door uh, as a phones guy, the most common question was, "Is there parking? Is there parking? How much is it?" Because back then, to go to the Sunset Strip, you would have to pay twenty bucks a park on the weekends, fifteen on weekdays, and people didn't want to do it. And but now, getting an Uber is like part of life and part of drinking more in Los Angeles. And I think it helped a lot. You're right. Along thing- with all the other stuff and the big names and the podcasts. And I think Netflix has helped done a lot for stand-up. But I think it's also Uber in terms of the comedy store specifically. I mean, the store is just uh, so fun to be there now. Yeah. Uh, even on Monday nights when it's, you know, the jam night, I guess you'd say, with the paid regulars. It's like mm-hmm. everyone's there. I mean... Uh, Rogan's there. He gives life to the club. Jeff yeah. Ross, you know. Uh, yeah. It's awesome to have Jeff there and uh, who you open for, right? Yeah, yeah. He takes me on the road sometimes. Very great guy. Oh, Jeff's the, I mean, I owe him a lot. Yeah, yeah. I love him. I owe him a lot too. I owe him, uh, <laughs> I owe him a lot. <laughs> I mean, uh, thank you, Jeff Ross. Because uh, without him, Roast Battle wouldn't be on the air. Jeff gave me my first job. I wouldn't be where, if I don't know where I would be right now, I'd probably would have quit comedy, I think, to be honest. Yeah, I can't. Now, I've come close a few times. What, like, uh, we, you know, with me, it was just like you, you can be told no only so many times before you're like, what am I doing? Right. Like, like and I'm, I think you and I are very much, I think we're pretty uh, similar. Like, I'm relatively confident. It's like, fuck, man, I can't take this much longer. Is that mm-hmm. a similar? Yeah, well, sometimes, like, I remember I got this feeling once where I was, like, leaving a Midwest city, small city with Polly Shore, and, like, you go on the road and you meet these people, and it'll be, you feel how different your life is from theirs, but at the same time, it's like there's trade-offs. So it's like you have three kids and a three-bedroom house in the Midwest, and you have a wife, and she loves you. You have this thing that's great, and it has its drawbacks because I live this different life where I'm probably alone more, and there's things about my life that are worse, but there's things about my life that are better. It's just other man's grass. So the point I'm making is is sometimes stand-up can push you to this place or push me to this place or comedy and entertainment chasing this dragon, it can take you to a place where you're like, is this trade-off worth it? You know what I mean? Right now I can look at my life and go, I think so far I'm happy about my trade-off. But sometimes you can find yourself in a place where, yeah, you get told no so many times and you feel like you're pushing a boulder up a hill and you're like, if I threw this away and moved to Portland and lived a cool little hipster life there, would uh, would it be a better life? And you're like, it could be. So, Like just to give people the idea of, rejection like i've probably literally auditioned for a thousand commercials maybe booked 15 how many pilots or or like shows have you created that didn't happen um i've written a lot of scripts that no one cared about uh i i but also just in stand-up i feel like i've had every door slammed on my face i I don't feel like the only the only club that really gives me spots is the comedy store. I'm not in at any other club. I'm nobody's darling. None of the alt rooms have ever liked me or liked me, and I've done my best to just be a nice, normal person. And so, uh, good luck in this business. So I just feel like every door slams on your face. So when I kind of only really the only open door I have in stand up consistently, besides you know the headliners who take me on the road and are nice to me, and the occasional thing here and there is uh is the comedy store. So when you feel like that's not even working or you're not getting the spots you need there to feel productive, 
uh, you start feeling like, whoa, everybody's just slamming a door in my face. What am I doing? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if that was a rant or. No, but it's true. I mean, I think people look at you as successful and they're like, oh, he's probably never been told no too much. And it's like. I've but nobody. I'm nobody's favorite. Tommy passed me, but I wasn't one of Tommy's favorite guys. You know what I mean? I didn't get good spots. Tommy was about to fire. It was about to stop giving me spots. He was. The Why? Because I had nothing going on. I was a paid regular probably like a year and a half. And I had no nothing going on. And and then like he didn't give me a spot one week. And like he was giving me like at first I was getting like two shitty spots a week. And then that became one. And then that became one really shitty spot a week. And then all of a sudden it became no spot. And then he gave me a spot. Then he gave me no spot again. And then I got a job writing on Jeff show. I'll never forget it. We the were burn. In, yeah. We were in the back alley smoking pot during the day, like <laughs> losers, like you used to do there. And Tommy comes by and, uh, and I had no spots. And Tony goes, hey, Tommy, guess who just got hired to write on Jeff Ross's show? Benji did. Tommy's like, really? Tommy takes a hit of our weed, leaves, goes, does weird Tommy shit. He comes back. He goes, Benji, I got you in the OR on Saturday. And I was like, oh, my God. I fucking saved. That's a big deal, Saturday. Yeah, OR. well, I was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't only Saturday. It was something rather than nothing. Because right. back then also... There was no names out of a hat on potluck nights. It was also what Tommy gave you. So if he's choking me out on Sunday and Monday, this is Tommy. We used to do this. He would pass you to get rid of you to bring in new fresh blood. Right. So if if he passed you and nothing really happened to your career and he didn't think you really had a place there, he'd stop giving you spots altogether. You wouldn't get Sunday, Monday spots because he would make that lineup. And Tuesday through uh, Saturday, he would choke you out and then you would just be done. That's why there's so many people who he passed that just disappear. Yeah, I mean... He uh, does it to make you disappear. That's why he passed so many unfunny door guys. To get rid of this guy. Well, he almost made me disappear. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I remember one time I, no one showed up and they put me up and I did really well. And, and uh, Jeff Scott told him. And so Tommy came up to me the next day and I thought, oh, he's not going to pass me, but he's saying... I don't know, get development spots or whatever. And he's like, you're not allowed to go up except on Sundays. Right. I was like, oh, okay, cool, man. Thanks, Tommy. I was a real Palmer back then. Yeah, I, I found it doesn't matter how good you do on stage. Well, I think with Adam it does. I mean, it, it's a little more performance-based because there's so much pressure. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he puts up guys who bring it. That's his. I, I can see that. I mean, you can't even really try new material anymore at the store. Yeah, that's what everybody says. I do. I don't care. I mean, if he thinks I suck, he thinks I suck. It's like if, if it's like I can't. I need. I have no other place to try new stuff. What am I gonna do? I, that's why I don't always do good there. But I think I do okay most of the time. People love you, man. You're Thanks, one man. of the few people where when you go on, people other comics walk in to watch. Right. Uh, especially now a couple months ago you were doing like a, uh, which I loved the yelling thing, the, like an angry, uh, kind of, a, I, I, I'm not like a Kennison type of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I loved it. You would call out hot girls in the crowd for being Instagram whores and you, you know, you don't like the attention, your twats hanging out at every picture. Like, I wouldn't have the balls to say that. What? Those are very loose quotations. Yeah. Oh, they're not. They're not <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. But like you're a mild mannered dude, like yeah. you know, I find you to be, uh, you know, humble and uh, soft spoken. But what brought that kind of one eighty switch? 
A bunch of things. It was a kind of a storm of things. One, uh, I just put together a half hour album and I was like, you know what? I want to put all that behind me. I want to try to do something new and different. And I didn't really know what it was, but I was like, maybe I'll do a gothic thing or something. So like, <laughs> I started writing some darker stuff, like thinking I would do like a goth character. And then I like never got the balls. Cause I was like, well, if I'm going to do this goth character, I'm gonna have to buy black clothes, put on black makeup. Like I'm going to have to go for it. And I got scared. And so I never really did it. And I was trying to do new material and I was kind of struggling at that point in my life. I was going through some personal stuff, girl stuff. And, uh, and then one night I was just like full of so much, like I was just so uncomfortable and angry about everything. And, uh, I decided to just go up there and like, not give a fuck. And I did it and it kind of worked at the first time, but not really. Like it was still like weird. But I, I realized I was like, whoa, maybe this is the character I've been looking for. Maybe it wasn't goth. Maybe I can instead just be really angry and yell. And so I, I started working on that. And it was just so fun for a while where I like I got obsessed with it and I recorded it all and I wrote new stuff and tried to find new stuff. And it was just really great. And then it just kind of ran its course like. I did it at the, I did it at one at the ice house and then these people wanted to beat me up. I was there. <laughs> yeah. And then I did it at this other place and I felt like I ruined the show. Cause like he put me up first. <laughs> Cause I was like, Hey, I'm doing some new weird stuff. Like I'm just giving you a heads up. And he's like, Oh, new stuff. I'll put you up first then. And then I felt like I kind of like didn't ruin the show. It's not like that, but like you open up a show yelling and screaming at a Mexican restaurant, like, and then I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> so then I was doing it at the store mostly. And then after a certain amount of time, it's just like, I don't feel like this angry guy. And even though I can try to fake it and it was like, I don't know if this is what I really want to contribute to the world right now. So I stopped. It's kind of like how I feel about like roast battle, like roasting a friend. Like I don't like doing it, but I force myself yeah. to do it. Was it something along those lines? Where Sometimes. Yeah. And it was a lot of exploring too, because some nights you yell so fucking loud and then you're like, do I have to yell that loud? So like sometimes it's just like experimenting with the levels in which you scream, the times in which you scream, like at what point in your speech are you, you know, like Kinnison would sort of rise up to yelling and then come back down like peaks and valleys. So there's there's some of that just like figuring out the roller coaster of your emotions and and uh, and also because you're yell like I yelled at people, I yelled, it's like figuring out the silences and sometimes yeah, like Cause I wasn't only yelling. I was also sort of withdrawing a lot emotionally up there. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was so fucking fun, man, but it just kind of ran its course and I want to do it again eventually, but I just feel like right now I'm just, it's not the best time. I hope you do. Cause I can't count how many times I was in the kitchen at the store and in, in the hallway more towards the belly room side. And <laughs> yeah, I would just hear you. What are you looking at? You stupid, like whatever. And it's like, it was the best. And then I had to follow you. Just, right. There's also that. I'd felt like you feel like you're like ruining the show. No, I enjoyed it because it was yeah. such a goofy, like no one took you serious. I mean, like the crowd, they knew it was like. Not always, dude. Not always, man. You do that. It was sometimes great. But if you didn't strike gold when you were doing that, you would feel like the biggest because not only are you bombing when you bomb, you're bombing and yelling and creating a negative energy. So like, it feels so terrible when it didn't work. It felt really terrible. But like you, it's a lot of balls. Because I I remember a couple nights where you would like to be a big dude with his girlfriend and you'd like call her a whore or something. <laughs> the guy's laughing, but she's not, or she's laughing and he's not. And you're like, did you ever outside of the ice house situation? Was there ever? Uh, 
a time where you thought, oh, I'm in trouble here? Um, I did get punched in the face the other night, but I didn't even do anything. The other that night? Was just, yeah, but I wasn't even on stage. I was just a crazy drunk. Um, there have been a lot of times. I don't know if you know this, but the main reason there's security at the comedy store to begin with is because of me. There was a night where a guy got on stage and fucking three guys had to drag him down. eBay and Josh Martin and an audience member had to drag him off the stage. And then they got security. Yeah, I mean, when you I was have, pretty scared that night. Well, were you uh, doing some crowd work on this guy? And he, he was being a dick all night, and then I just he was with his a girl, and I just let them both have it, and he got fucking pissed, and he was huge. He wasn't even I don't think taller than me, but he was built like he was on roids. It was it was pretty fucking scary. And then uh, I've had glasses thrown at me. <laughs> um, the night at the ice house wasn't too scary because I had so many friends there. Um, um, because I remember that night someone came and got me. They're like, "Earl, you're, you're the biggest guy here. You better go help Benji out." <laughs> and I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "He's having some problems." <laughs> uh, one night, the crazy one crazy night was there was this girl, and uh, I'm up next. I'll never forget. Leonard Robinson's on stage. Better spot, of course. Just oh. kidding. Just kidding, Leonard. And he's got the lights. I'm like getting ready to go on stage. And this girl starts dragging me towards the back of the hallway, like down the hallway, like almost like she knows what's in the main room, like a big dark room. I bet she does. I know. It was kind of odd. I was like, how do you have this radar to know where you can pull me to like try to make out with me? But she was very drunk and belligerent. I'm about to go on stage. She wasn't like a very pretty girl. So it wasn't even like a question. I was like, I got to get on stage. I'm sorry. Like, let's discuss this later. As she's doing this, her boyfriend comes out of nowhere and like hits her. Oh, he like, I swear to God, it was the weirdest thing. He like karate chopped her neck. And it was like, whoa, whoa. And everyone saw it. Like, cause Don, I remember Don was there. He saw the whole thing. He's like, easy buddy, easy buddy. He's like yelling at her. You're drunk. You're acting crazy. Blah, 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 blah. So like she tries to make out with me. Then her boyfriend hits her for it. And then I go on stage and it's, it was when I used to get spots and the club was a dark hole. There's literally like seven audience members and they're two of them now. I'm doing comedy. She starts heckling me. The girl who just got hit by her boyfriend with her boyfriend just is now heckling me. And she was also just trying to make out with me. So I let her sort of have it. And then the boyfriend gets on me. And I'm like, dude, like, are you serious? You just hit this girl. And now like and then I let him have it because I'm like, you hit your girlfriend and so I was just letting them both have it. And she threw a drink at me. She tried to, she was like pulling on the microphone. It was, that was pretty nuts too. And then he wanted to like fight me. Only at the store. Yeah. Such a wild. The f I said something so funny to him. What? I'll never forget it. Uh, he goes, you want to step outside? <laughs> and I'm like, why? So you can sit in your civic and watch your girlfriend try to make out with me again? <laughs> that must have got him going. Yeah, he was pretty pissed. But uh, but they started it. And you obviously can't respect her because she was like heckling me after being a drunk idiot and being a drunk idiot. And he just hit her. So you obviously can't respect a guy who just hit a woman. So that was one of the times I felt very right to really let somebody have it as much as I can. I mean, how do you deal with I mean, you don't get heckled too much, do you? Um, no, of course I do. Why do you think that is? I don't get heckled too much, but um, sometimes I do. Um, I think I, you know, I'm I'm kind of walking the line a little bit. Also, like, I think I have a lot of, I, I sound so arrogant. I don't really care. Um, I think I, you know, I say some offensive stuff, which makes people want to yell at you. I think also sometimes I can 
make it appear as if I'm struggling on stage when I'm not or like stuff like that. Like I create moments that might make it seem like I'm being vulnerable. And so people might think that I need their help too sometimes. I don't know. How do you like doing comedy, like uh, opening up for Jeff uh, or or Paulie? You know, I mean, that's because like when I opened up for Schneider, it was Rob Schneider, Uh not John Schneider from the Dukes of Hazzard. You know, it's kind of cool in the sense you're in a theater or whatever, a thousand people, but you're kind of like, oh, well, not one person's here to see me. Uh, But I find they're pretty respectful of the opener, like, all right, someone's got to open. Let's give them a shot. Did you uh, enjoy opening up for bigger names? I loved it, man. It was it's it still is very important for like my development as a comedian because if I don't get to do longer sets, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a strong comedian and I'll have no chance at headlining. So I have to get in longer sets. It's good to do it on the road. Like Jeff has a smart, cool audience. Natasha takes me. She has a very smart, cool audience. Um, going on the road with Polly Shore as a young guy was also really good just because I was young and it was like exciting to like go on the road and meet girls and drink with random people and see the country and see Canada. And like, so it was like a good, like, uh, it was just like a good educational thing for me going on the road with Polly and, uh, and he's a good guy too. And then Bobby's taken me a couple times when I was really, really green. Bobby took me. So that was also important to me. The great Bobby Lee. Yeah. Um, and do you headline a lot now or like when you can? No, I've never headlined. I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm just a little nervous to do it, but I feel like I could if, uh, I ramped up to it a little bit. Like, I feel like if I had like a month of feature work or like right. if I like had a month where I went on the road twice as a feature, I would, I would really focus on, I would just want like a couple weeks of practice and then I think I could work my way up to headlining but oh, I, sure but I just be like I just feel like I know like I only feature every few months and then when I only do it every few months you sort of ramp up to featuring because you're not used to doing a half hour so I feel like if I gave myself a little time to get used to the half hour I would then have an easier time stretching because it's tough in LA to find uh anything longer than 15 minutes yeah even 15 minutes in LA is really hard to find I mean, outside the comedies, even yeah. the improv is, uh, I think... 12 eight, minutes, yeah, 8 minutes, If yeah. that. Uh, if that. So, yeah, you're lucky to have the comedy store, definitely. Uh, and I don't... Uh, do you do the Laugh Factory much? No. I don't no. either. Yeah. Buddy, buddy. I'd love to do any club I can, man. I really wish I could get up more, because I feel like... I feel like I'm only, like, a few, a few bookers away from, like, having... Because the comedy store makes it that... If you have like a fixed amount of spots from the store, if you could just get a couple more in yeah. other places, it really does a lot for your uh, your growth. And it raises your profile, you know. Other, you know, because I find sometimes I'm labeled a store comic, which I right. love because I love the comedy store. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I don't know if I want to be labeled because then the improv looks at you go, oh, he's a store guy. I don't know if they do. They put up all sorts of people, but I I'm, see what you mean. I love Jamie. Jamie Flam. He's yeah. the best. You know him and Adam, good people. What so? What's next outside of your series? Nothing really. It's going to be all encompassing because we start writing uh, in the next few weeks, or at least we're supposed to in the next month or so. Uh, hopefully, as soon as possible. And then, right after writing, I'm going to go right into shooting. And so, once it starts, I think I'm on something like a six month adventure of full time insanity. That's crazy. Where's the yeah. shoot? Mainly out here in L.A.? We haven't. Uh, yeah, it's going to be in L.A., but there's certain things that aren't figured out yet. A lot now, of things that aren't figured out yet. Is it a 
I mean, it's not necessary. It's not. It's scripted. It's not. Re- not is it real? Not really. It's a real- scripted. Yeah. No, it's scripted. But like, it's based on our real lives. But it's scripted, and we do improvise a lot too. Because were you in Esther's MTV show? Um, I was part of it originally, and then I decided I didn't want to do it. It was a reality show. Right, because yeah. I think I saw the uh, the pilot with the great Carlos Herrera. Yeah, I'm sure he showed everybody. He did. <laughs> Sandy Danto. Yeah, I uh, didn't want to do it. I uh, I was go- I was about to do it, and then yeah, it just didn't work out. Because it was a reality show based on just her life as a young comic and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I kind of re- backed out the day before they started shooting. <laughs> and then was Carlos your replacement? I think Glassman was my replacement. Oh, that's right. And I mean, then the, and then Glassman was replaced by Campanelli. I think. I don't really know. I saw the one clip of, uh, and I love Esther. She's always been cool to me. Uh, of Campanelli and her going shopping, and the, uh, you know, then I wasn't sure what was going on there. Oh, okay. I'm not a big reality show guy. Yeah, no, me neither. The girl I'm dating now watches a lot of reality, so she, I, I'm watching more of it, but uh, I try to stay away. It's bad for you. Now let's get into dating. Okay. Be a good way to uh, wrap up to show our personal sides. Now, we both have dated comics yeah. or people in, uh, in our world, yeah. In the comedy world. What do you think the best thing about that is? Um, it feels good to be with someone who you feel understands you because uh, doing what we do, it's a very weird uh, place in the world and it's a weird psychology. And so if you're with someone who's not in that, it's not like, oh, true love's impossible. You can never achieve intimacy with that person. But it is pretty cool to be with someone who understands you in in an even deeper aspect. Um, So I would say that. That's what's what's good about it. Yeah, because it is a tough... uh, I've tried to date non-comics or... uh, And the hours we keep are just so wacky. Yeah. And, you know, you're out till anywhere from two to four in the morning. Maybe not four in the morning, but like... You know, if you go out to eat, I guess, and, uh, you know, someone who has a nine to five job, it's like, uh, I'm getting up in three hours. Yeah. So they don't relate to your uh, life. Yeah. Like I said, you know, a relationship can be about opposites attracting too, but that's what's good about dating someone in your world is they understand your world. Now, what do you think is bad about it? Um, it's not always going to be bad, but you do run the risk of if you get involved with anybody you work with is that, uh, if things do go bad, it's still like up in your life and it's not like, it's not the easiest thing to completely rid yourself of, you know, emotions are something that can be there regardless. You know, if you break up with someone and they live on the other side of the country, it can still, you know, bother you for years and years and years, depending on the on the depth of that relationship. But when certain things are around you or even just in your world, it just, it's a, it's a, it's almost like certain emotions and feelings will still loiter despite you moving on. And you have to see them. Uh, yeah. That's the toughest thing for me is like, you know, when things go awry. Yeah. And then you have your, uh, well, they're not really friends, but like I have a rule in my life. Uh, it's a guy code. I never go after someone's ex-girlfriend. It's just not right. my thing. I've never done it. I never will do it. Yeah. Uh, that's the toughest thing. You know, it's like, you, I think in, like, we're both so popular, like in, in the comedy store parlance, yeah. everyone loves us. Uh, but I find uh, sometimes it's, well, if they were fucking Benji or Earl, they'll fuck me. 
Um, I don't know if it's that. I dis- I disagree with you. Like, I think- maybe I don't know, but I think uh, I don't know. I don't I don't think you can take it personally. Really, it's just it's just life, and uh, people are gonna sleep with who they sleep with, and it's also luck of the draw. You know, I've slept. I'm not trying to like be like, oh, I've, but I have slept with females in our world who I still see all the time and everything's friendly and normal and awesome. I just think it's, it can go both ways. I could, you can have, you can have amazing breakups with people you work with, or you could have not so amazing breakups. So it, it's just the risk you run. Cause you don't know that in the beginning, you're getting to know someone. You don't really know how it's going to be. Boy, you got that right. <laughs> but I think it's, you know, I think you got to accept everything, man. It's all there to teach us something. And we're all here to learn from each other. And, and yeah. I'm trying, man, but some of these fucking Palmers out here, real jackals, nice to your face. And then I think those are the lessons you got to learn. You know, it's an important lesson I've learned is, is you have to really recognize who are your friends and who aren't your friends. And how do you do that though? In this business, which is built upon such fakery for like, it's not even a word. You're right. No, you're right. You were dealing with. A stand-up comedian and actresses and all this stuff, it's very charming people and so who have skills and talents to get people to like them. Uh, I think you just have to be very cautious and hesitant is what I've learned. I've fallen into a lot of friendships or situations that have caused me trouble. So I think you just have to keep everything at an arm's length and until... Obviously, I'm not saying never let someone in our industry close to you. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying is it's fair to be very careful and weary and look for the signs that they're a bad person, but also look for the signs that they're a good person because there's plenty of good people out there too, but look for both and don't, don't neglect uh, red flags. That's why I've always loved you. I remember once, uh, um, I think it was the first time I saw you at Equinox and I think you sensed I was a little down on the business and you're like, Hey man, whenever I'm hosting, come up, I'll get you up. And, uh, you know, you didn't have to say that. I mean, you know. I got you up, right? If I said that, I usually would. Oh, absolutely. Like, but you know, I never really took you up on the offer too much because I'm shy, but it's like, for this is the wrong business to be shy in. Uh, right. So, you know, I've always considered you a great friend. Henchcliffe's a great dude. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Theo Vaughn, Tebow, uh, you know, there are a lot of good people in the business. Yeah. So this is the part, baby doll, where you just plug your stuff, Twitter, Instagram. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at Benji Aflalo. Um, you best spell it for my listeners. B-E-N-J-I-A-F-L-A-L-O. B-E-N-J-I-A-F-L-A-L-O. Um, I'm going to be at the, I think there's an improv in Indio now. I'll be there in March with Willie Hunter. And, uh, and uh, yeah, look for my show on Freeform. It's going to be called Alone Together. I just have to write it and shoot it first, but it's coming. But other than that, there's no roadblocks to it. Well, like, oh, is right. anything written yet? Well, we already have a pilot. Basically, right. episode one is done completely. And how long did that take to, uh, like, like from, from di- take, I, we'll leave with this because I, I love showing the process of something. Like, I always talk about Roast Battle started with Josh Martin and Kenny Lyon wanting to fight in an empty belly room. Now it's about season two on Comedy Central, which is it's so mind-blowing to me to see something go from literally an empty 
belly room show that Moses took over from Stephanie Simbari, mm -hmm. and we all love Steph, but you know that the show, it's not her fault, but the, the open mic she was running maybe wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. Day, so how did this pilot, how did this show come up like you and Esther I'll tell you all right basically in 2000 and what year is it in 2013 in December of 2013 Esther and I decided we wanted to pitch something together and we had both pitched stuff before and we hate we didn't like the process really so we we're like we have to shoot something that so when we pitch we have something to show can I just say something yeah. so the, the people who don't know what pitching is uh, you you go into a room full of executives and they say, "What do you got?" Yeah, and More you pitch them a show, and that and and you know, guys like you look at the workaholics guys. They had a web, they were doing web shit, and that helped them. Or you look at Always Sunny; they had something shot. So I was like, I, I think we should shoot something because we did. We just felt like losers who no one would take seriously, which we were, unless we had something. So from December, we we pretty much had it written in December of two thousand thirteen. We spent like the first half of 2014 trying to find someone to help us shoot it, who we trusted. And it was a real struggle. We finally found a guy. His name was Jacob Pinger. He shot it for us. He was awesome. He shot it for us in August of 2014. Then we finished it, editing it and everything by December. We showed it to our agents. They were like, this is great. We're going to blah, 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 blah. We're going to help you. It sat forever. They were like, don't put it online. Blah, 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 blah. We put it online. We found a great production company to attach to. Party over here. It's the Lonely Island production company. That was sometime in 2015 now, right? Yeah. We start pitching it in December of 2015. So that means we finished the presentation in 2014 of December. It was in the can, done editing. It took a year for us to get into rooms to pitch it. That's how slow it was to just get people to like move along and try and help us. And you guys have like good representation too. I got rid of my reps because they were like, we love this short. We're going to get this sold for you. And then they did nothing. And I was like, you guys can't even send me on auditions. And you're telling me I have this great thing and you're not even getting me meetings. So I was like, I got to go. You're not getting me meetings. You're not even getting me auditions with this cool short film I made. I'm out. We finally get in rooms in December. We meet with networks. We sell to the Freeform Network, which is great. And then for most of 2016, you got it after they agree to do it. Then there's like contract stuff or whatever. Then you, you, you pitch your story, what you want your pilot to be about. They approve. You pitch your outline. You wait for their approval. You get some notes and then you write the pilot. And then we wrote the pilot and then we wait for their approval to shoot the pilot. They gave us approval. We shot the pilot in August of 2016. Had that in the can about a month or so later. And then a few weeks ago, they told us we're getting a series. So it's basically a three-year process. A three -year That's process. crazy to me. And the whole time, you, it's, just, it's just not the whole time, but like it's a lot of moving forward. It's a lot of pushing. Like I had no experience in any of this. So a lot of it is just like pushing it forward. Esther's been a really great partner. She's, she's smarter than me in many ways. So she's helped a lot too. Yeah, but you guys are like a Crockett and Tubbs type of... No, I mean that as a... Comp, for me, that's I don't even a know who that is. It's Miami Vice, maybe the 80s. Oh, okay. Uh, you guys just mix well together. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, how do you deal with, like, the notes? Like, I know, like, for Roast Battle, we'd have to send them our jokes. Mm -hmm. And they certainly didn't tell us what jokes to do, but they were like, well, like, when I was battling Tom Ballard, you know, I, he's gay and he's awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had some gay-themed jokes, let's say, and mm -hmm. they would say, well, instead of saying come, could you say this word? Jizz. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's classic Comedy Central note. You can't say come, you can say jizz. Which, like, to me, ruined the effectiveness of the joke. Yeah. And that's just, this is just roast battle. Like, uh, did you get notes that, like, not ruin the idea of your... Not at all. Your idea. Not at all. Freeform and the executives there have been so awesome. Our... You know, we were a little nervous at first because it used to be ABC Family. All the executives work for Disney, you know, and our first pilot is somewhat edgy. You know what I mean? So we were like, are we going to submit this to people who are like at Disney.com or whatever? (laughs) And are they going to tell us we're nuts with this pilot we're handing them? Like, because it involves like prostitution and some other stuff. So we we were like, geez, we're in trouble. But not in trouble, but like, are they going to think we're stupid for pitching something like this to ABC Family? And they're like, oh, this is great. We were like, whoa, I can't believe this is happening. But even as the process went forward, we were like, man, they are, they say they want to be different and edgy and rebrand and, and they, they lived up to it so far. And we didn't get any notes that bumped on anything. In fact, most of their notes helped. And, uh, I may have lost a joke or two here that I liked, but that's just the nature of, I think, edits. And maybe I can fight for them later, but nothing crazy. How do you pick what, what to fight for? I mean, I'm sure at some point it's a battle to go, well, you know, maybe down the road, I want something else more than this joke. I mean, how do you choose? I don't fight too hard. I mean, <laughs> I have two equal partners in the in creating the pilot and the show. Then we have a showrunner, then we have exec we have producers on the at uh at the at party over here, Lonely Islands Production Company. Then we have we have opinions at the at the network. We have opinions from a director sometimes, we have opinions from an editor sometimes. So there's a lot of people with more experience than me. So generally what I do is if there is something I disagree with, I'll just say, hey, guys, I disagree with this. This is why this joke was great. Everyone laughed at it the whole time or blah, blah, blah. Or I'll make my point and then I'll let it die. And then sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong. And you sort of have to. The reason why I'm where I am is because the people I'm working with are funny and experienced and talented. So I defer to them gladly. It's not even like a, oh, I'm bitter about this joke that got cut. It's like, no, I think this joke is funny. And this is why if you guys really need to cut it, go for it, you know, or I, I like this scene more like this. This is why it makes it feel like this to me, but I thought it was better like this, you know, is it a similar, um, sorry, I just got all Apple products and I don't is know that how my to, phone. It could that's be my, my phone. phone. I don't know how to turn off. Uh, that's okay. It's, it's the worst. I'm so, a real schwitz sometimes. Getting back to the Comedy Central roast, Bieber, Franco, how hard is it to fight for your job? I mean, there you're in a room with like maybe 10 to 20 comics or writers. Yeah. How hard is it to fight? Like, I can imagine everyone, it's like Um, free for all. uh, To fight for my jokes. I generally, I don't know. I don't fight. It's it's, oftentimes it's a matter of just saying, hey guys, I'm repitching this joke. You're writing 50 jokes a day. So if there's a few jokes in your bank that you're like, these are really good. You know, but sometimes what'll happen is, uh, I don't know if this will get me in trouble, but like if there's jokes I write and they're not biting, like I'll go to someone on the dais and be like, hey, do you like this joke? You know, and it doesn't come from a selfish place necessarily where it's like, oh, I want to get so many of my jokes on the roast, like blah, 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 blah. Like I'm I'm very secure with what I've contributed to both roasts that I've worked for. And like, obviously it's cool to see your jokes get told, but sometimes I believe in stuff uh, that I will pitch more than others that I will continue to pitch after people tell me no, but that's only cause sometimes it's right. And sometimes it does help people, you know? So, uh, yeah. I don't know if I could ever write for one of those things. I would be too intimidated. Like 
you're in a room with you, Tony Hinchcliffe, yeah. Jesse Joyce, who's yeah. fucking amazing. Yeah, that's uh, why I don't fight for jokes. It's like everyone's so funny. So if the room's not agreeing that it's a funny joke, I'm not going to tell a, a room full of like amazing joke writers that. I mean, Mike Lawrence. Yeah. Know, so on and so forth. And sometimes I feel like I have such a crazy voice. Like I can be so mean or so different that. Uh, it just, it, I'm not for everybody. And, and you can often defer, you know, the people on stage telling jokes, they know their voice better than you do. You might try to know their voice, but it's a lot of that too. So you can always trust in the professional to come through. Well, that they know what they're doing. Words to live by guys. So I hope the last couple minutes with Benji have taught you, if you have a good idea, don't give up on it. it took Benji three years to get something on the air, like this particular project. So, uh, just don't be dejected. We're warriors, comedy warriors, and I hope you love Benji as much as I do. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram. He's a good dude. He's one of the few people I would say this about. If I quit comedy tomorrow, I would still talk to him. And a lot of you fucking L.A. Palmers who listen to this podcast, I wouldn't. And you know who you are. A lot of people ask me when I talk about revenge on this show what I'm talking about. You pigs will find out soon enough. So everybody likes you, Earl. <laughs> yeah, I always say that. It's true. Everyone does, but yet some people do things they shouldn't be doing behind my back, and you fools will be exposed sooner than later. People I've had on this couch, Daddy finds out everything. It's one of the few benefits about having money, as I have the means to put my ear to the ground and listen. You palming fools. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Inappropriate Earl, SoundCloud and iTunes. Please leave a review if you like it.